You're on the Fiction Road. I'm writer Cheryl Alloway. Let's drive it together and find out what fictional saga is around the corners. Choose from a variety of genres that are crafted with one thing in mind, the love of the story. It's a much needed part of our day, more than ever, to lose the fast pace and settle down into a place where our minds can go to another place and another time. Join me as we explore the narrative world in podcast format. It's never been easier to entertain ourselves than podcast storytelling. So sit back, choose your story, and see what the fiction road has to offer. Thanks for stopping by, and enjoy your stay. The Fiction Road is powered by Anchor by Spotify. Music is provided by pixabay.com. Your journey down the fiction road has brought you to your next stop. Sit back as you listen to the heartfelt fictional drama, The Kessler Project. She knew she was in rough shape by the pounding of her heart even before she fully woke up. Lying at the bottom of the gully, her breath was puffing out of her bloodied mouth into the morning air. Early dew had coated everything around her, making it damp and cool. Fog held on to its ground-level altitude through her sight as her eyes opened up to find the scene she was mangled in. Carefully, she tried each of her four limbs, and all of them moved, except her right leg. Looking down, she could tell it was crooked with a break at the top of her shin. Through excruciating pain, she examined the rest of her body and found a shallow puncture wound in her left side just above her hip. Thank God, she whispered, as it was not deep enough to have damaged anything internally. She touched gently around her ribcage and shockingly, there were no breaks. She did, however, have a massive wound on the right side of her head and face. It was almost as though the right side of her had taken the brunt of the fall from 100 feet up. She kept examining herself and realized her right wrist was also throbbing. It was swollen, and now she knew it too was either fractured or sprained. Her whole body was vibrating in deep pain. But as she started to panic, she stopped her swirling mind and spoke out loud to settle herself down, or if she went into shock, she'd be done for. You know what it's doing. Your your body is responding to the pain. Your organs are safe. You have one good leg and one good arm. You can see. You can hear. You can breathe. You're going to be okay. She kept coaching herself and trying to force her panicking brain to understand that the pain was there, but she could get herself out if she just stayed calm. Just get yourself out of this, she cried. She'd have to splint her right leg, and that was going to be the worst pain in of itself. 
This was going to take everything she had. Her knowledge of the body, her courage in this moment of fear, and her inner voice asking a thousand questions. In all her trauma, she remembered two men throwing her down into the gully. Oh, that she remembered. But would they come back? Did they think she was dead? Where exactly was she? And how would she pull herself back up? It just kept going. She heard in her mind gunshots, voices, and now she was fighting for her life seemingly again. And so she stopped herself and made all of the sound go away around her. She breathed and focused on what she needed to do in that moment, and then she would allow herself to think about everything else. Well, that was what she tried to do, but her thoughts were jumbled, confused, and she was terrified. There was no lack of splint material around her, and she still had her green scarf around her neck. She'd use its long length as ties. She ripped it in half to have it ready. She was very lucky, however, that it didn't catch on the way down and possibly strangle her. Taking three selected pieces of broken branches from the ground around her, she braced herself for what was about to make her scream. She put two layers of cedar bark torn from the tree beside her in between her teeth and bit down hard. For someone who was terrified, she was doing what she needed to do in that moment. And with everything she had, she wasted no time and pushed her painful leg into a straight position before her. She lurched and screamed through her teeth, shaking in pain. In her mind, she once again told herself, calm down, calm down, damn it, calm down. Pain creates fear, fear weakens you, calm down, damn it. Taking each piece of scarf, she laid the thinnest branch on top of her leg and tried to hold still. Then taking the other two, she placed them strategically on either side. The two torn pieces of cloth were next, and yet two more painful moments of screaming through her teeth to tighten them as best she could. She laid there now and made sure she hadn't missed anything else. She couldn't see it, but feeling her injured body all over, she knew exactly where she was badly bruised. She kept mumbling medical terms to herself as she checked with odd, self-soothing word combinations. Vestibular function, your balance is intact. Carotid artery safe, brachial health, breathing is rushed but normal, thoracic integrity good, cytology will work its wonders. Suppressor genes, DNA, molecular structures, your name is Sarah. You're okay. You're okay. She obviously had a hematoma on her right side as she lifted her shirt. When she touched her face, there was thick blood on her hands with a flap of skin felt on her cheek. She needed to get herself out of there as quickly as she could and back up to the road to find a car. But what if they came back? She had no choice. She'd die if she stayed there. After a few minutes of just calming her body and enveloping the pain, 
she started to turn herself around and face upward. It felt like a mile, but she could see the top. She suddenly heard a vehicle go by and knew that there just had to be more coming. Each tug and pull to get herself up into a crawling position made her panic. She hoped she didn't have any other fractures unknown that would snap with pressure from her movement. But she just kept going. Inch by inch, foot by foot, she made her painful progress toward the sound above. Another vehicle passed, and now she was getting motivated to reach her goal. She kept going slowly and methodically over the debris that her own body had created as it made an ironic path for her to follow up. Low screaming through her teeth to help with the pain as she went was her medicine. With only a few feet left, she stopped and remained out of sight. She took a moment to catch her breath and pulled one more time so that she could just about actually see the road. Now she placed a torn piece of her yellow shirt sleeve onto a long branch and made a sort of flag with it. On the ground and lying within the roadside vegetation, she poked it out reluctantly into the view of anyone driving by now. She waited. She kept whispering to herself, Please, please don't come back. Please be someone new, please. Just stop for me, please. Please don't come back. I want to go home. I want to go home. An arduously long 10 minutes passed and no more cars came. And then, as she was ready to pass out from exhaustion, she heard a transport truck. It was distinctively diesel, and she gave every last ounce of her strength to make the yellow cloth flag move, hoping whoever they were would see it. With little hope left in her mind, she began to lose her energy just trying to lay there after her harrowing climb. And then, as if an angel came into her view, her sight became blurry and as the sound of the truck slowed and she vaguely heard the brakes squealing, Sarah Kessler saw one last image of a man reaching down and the faint words... I got you. I got you, honey. I got you, my God. I got you. The touch of a stranger's hand on hers was the last thing she felt. She passed out, but Sarah had made it out of the gully on sheer willpower. As the driver tried to lift Sarah out of the underbrush without moving her too much, She suddenly woke up again and blurted out with a reflex response from her exhausted mind. No, no hospitals, please don't take me there. They'll find me, please. I can't trust anyone. No police, please help me, please. The driver's name was Mike Duluth. He'd been coming home after a run south to deliver produce from his small farm. Mike was almost retired from farming in his mind, but he had inherited his family's property decades prior and honored his father and grandfather in carrying it on. Mike, however, had never married, and the property of 70 acres was now his alone. 
He always told himself when he passed, he wasn't sure who to give it all to. Mike's father passed away from cancer and he and his dad had lived on the farm for years together after his only sister had passed along with his mother in a car accident. Mike wasn't depressed per se. He had a very good life, but he was however wishing he'd had kids of his own to keep his dad's land going in honor of all he went through. He'd always longed to do something to help others along with his farming. When times were tough during COVID, Mike would just give food away to the locals who needed it in town. He'd recovered and had kept going through everything that came his way. Being gentle and kind were his character traits, but Mike was a strong, resilient man. He did, however, miss his family so much. And as he aged, he was beginning to reflect on his life. Now, 68-year-old Mike had just stumbled upon a badly injured woman lying on the side of the long open road who was begging him not to take her to the hospital or call the police. He himself was in shock and trying to get her body into his truck safely while absorbing what to do next. Sarah was not heavy, but her injured leg was now splinted into a very cumbersome position that was painful as he tried to get her into the cab of the semi. But he had no choice. She screamed out loud as he lifted her foot past the side of the doorframe and finally onto the floor of the truck cab. He quickly ran over to his side and leaped in. He started to drive immediately while shifting his head back and forth as dazed and confused Sarah clung onto the side of the door and the console beside her to keep from falling over. She barely had her eyes open and was almost hyperventilating. She was filthy, bloodied, and Mike was fearful as to what to do and what happened. He kept looking into his mirrors, panicking to watch for any assailants' vehicles or signs of any further danger. He said his first words to her. What happened? Why don't you want to go to the hospital, honey? Who did this to you? Where did you come from? Sarah was now becoming delirious, but she had enough in her to say one last thing before she passed out, and her head landed lightly upon the window beside her. I, I don't know. Please, don't take me to the hospital. Please, just hide me. Please, my my name is Sarah. Uh, I saw them do it. I, I saw them shoot him. They're going to come for me. They're watching me. I... Uh, I... She passed out. Mike was scared now. He had to calm himself down as well. He looked over at the young woman in his truck as his shaking hands held onto the semi's wheel. As the diesel engine rumbled down the road, ten more miles would take them to Mike's farm. He decided to listen to her out of fear of the unknown situation and take her there even though every ounce of him knew she needed an emergency room. As he pulled down the dusty, long side road to the farmhouse in the distance, Mike made a call to his friend on the CB radio. 
She was a vet in town and the only person he could think of who may be able to assist him. Dr. Jess listened to Mike's panicking voice and told him she was leaving the office for the day and would drive out to the farm as fast as she could. The last thing Mike said to her was, Jess, don't say nothing to no one until we figure this out. I I have a feeling this girl's involved in something we may not be able to handle. Who knows if they're still around, the ones that did this to her. Jess answered quickly as she was running to her truck. I understand. I'll be there in 20 minutes, Mike. Hang on. I'm coming. I'm bringing the sheriff. She can trust him, too. Mike had to work hard to get at Sarah and get her out of the cab, but he was a strong man from working the farm all those years, and he gently carried her slightly limp body into the farmhouse as she opened her eyes just a bit. He gave her water and the strongest painkiller medicine he had in the farmhouse. She was so drained that Mike told her to just rest, but she started to tell him what happened like like a reflex, and he let her do it because he didn't know what else to do. It was very strange. She'd obviously been through hell and back. She had a few small tattoos on her forearms, and her beautiful face still made itself known through the mangled hair and dirt. She quietly and softly told him now, with a somewhat blank expression and tone. Her mind was working, but it had had enough. She started saying so much, Mike could hardly take it all in. Out of the blue, like a light bulb switched on, she spoke. My name is Sarah Kessler. I I was a medical tech and I worked with my husband Brian. He he was a biologist, a chemist. He was an amazing man. She continued as she tried to gather herself once again. Her mind was going in and out of pain and grief. Brian was on the verge of discovering something that would cure cancer, not just treat it, cure it. In fact, its genetics, manipulative capabilities would change the world and help fight off possible other illnesses well within the human body. It was going to be the next largest discovery in centuries. My husband, I was his assistant, along with a few others on his team. We'd been given money as a donation to do our research by uh, Damon Wells, a wealthy man from New York. His wife and daughter both have cancer, and he'd been reading my husband's papers with great attention. No one believed it was anything more than anyone else has already put out there, but Mr. Wells, he was desperate to save his wife and daughter, and he put up his own money for us to at least try and see if what Brian was finding could work. He's gone. Brian's gone. They took him from me. They shot him in front of me. They're going to kill me too. Mike put his hand on Sarah's shoulder as they heard Jess's truck pull up. She had Sheriff Clement in tow. They came rushing through the farmhouse door and it took Sarah aback. It's all right, Sarah. You can trust them. These people are my friends. You're in safe hands, darling. Don't worry. We're going to help you. No matter how dangerous this seems to me right now, damn it, we're going to help you. Sarah sighed again and shook her head up and down 
as Mike's kind, fatherly face looked into her fearful, devastated eyes. Hello, I'm Jess. This is Sheriff Clement, acknowledging Sarah. Then, Mike, you all right? Mike shook his head up and down now as well, and then said, This is Sarah. She's in a bad way. We need to help her. Keep her hidden, Dave. She's got some dark people who did this to her, obviously, wanting her dead. She's terrified of them. She's a strong young lady, though. I just don't know what else to do for her. I found her on the side of the road for crying out loud. She didn't crash. There's no vehicle. The sheriff said right away to try and help Mike's swirling mind as well. Sarah, let's get you looked at first, then we'll talk. I'll put out a watch in town and a missing person search. Sarah lurched in fear. Please, no, I don't want anyone else to know I'm here. Please, they shot Brian. They're coming for me too, she shouted. Now, now, Sarah, it's all right, I told you. He's just going to tell his men to keep an eye out. They won't say a thing to no one yet. It's all right. Let Jess look you over. Mike calmed her. And Sarah listened. Jess was a small and large animal vet, and she was as close to a doctor as Sarah would get in the moment. Jess had been working in her field for decades, and she could fix just about any injury, internal or otherwise. She'd treated everything from horses to guinea pigs, and even the buffalo on the neighboring farm to Mike's. Sarah was indeed in good hands, and after three hours of working on her, Jess had sewn up her face after a local shot and even casted her leg. Being a farm vet, Jess had done so much field work, she could perform miracles, it seemed, anywhere. Her vet vehicle was a rolling surgical room. Sarah's pain was starting to lessen as Jess had given her something more powerful than the headache medicine Mike had innocently tried to give her. Well, it might as well have just been candy to Sarah. She was on morphine now, and finally they got her to sleep. They left her in the living room on Mike's couch, covered and warm, now by the small fire Mike had started while Jess was working on her. The three of them spoke in the kitchen, and Sheriff Clement told them what they'd do next. We have to get this girl into protection off the farm, Mike. I I have to find out who she is. She can't stay here. You don't need trouble coming down that road. We'll get a couple of deputies out here to watch for you, and in a day or so, we'll move her. She's just got to get some sleep. Once we move her, we'll be talking to her in more depth. Right now, she's a mess. You sure you're all right? Mike sighed, and his heart was breaking for Sarah. He had told them what she had said to him, but that was all he knew. And if they went against her wishes and took her to a more official setting too soon... She seemed to be ready to explode with emotions. Even Dave let her just stay put to calm her down. He didn't want Mike in danger, though, and so they had to all try and compromise for at least a day or so. I'm fine. Just utterly frustrated wondering how she got down that damn gully and who did this to her. I I think her short story... It tells you a lot, and we can figure out that they didn't want her or her husband around to finish that research she spoke of. Dave had his notepad out and was writing things down. 
He did ask Mike one more time. That man she mentioned, Damon Wells, you said, did she happen to say where he was from? Nope. Uh, wait, uh, yes, she did. Uh, New York, I think. She said his wife and daughter are sick with cancer like Pop was. Okay. Well, I can do some digging. And once we find out where she's from, a few more details, it should be enough for me to at least track him down and see where that leads. Someone must be looking for this girl. I'm not going to be able to do this alone, though. She's going to need to let others help. She doesn't have a choice if we're going to protect her properly. Problem is, in these cases, you have no idea how deep it goes or who the victim really is. Until I find out a few answers, we're floundering with it. You said her husband was on the verge of something pretty miraculous. Well, I can think of a few big pharmaceutical companies who wouldn't like that too much. Drugs are the international path to money. And if that money's threatened, well... <laughs> Murder, it's, it's it's bedfellow. We all know that. I have to get moving on this right now. We have no idea who this girl is. Mike looked at both Dave and Jess, and Jess embraced him kindly. You need to get some sleep, too. I'm going to stay overnight to watch her, just in case. I let Paul know I was needed out here. He's got the kids at home. Everything is set. Well, thank you, dear. I really appreciate that. You've got a good man, Jess. I don't know what I would have done if the two of you hadn't gotten here so quick. They both smiled, and Mike saw Dave out the front porch door. He turned and waved, taking Jess's truck back to town for now. He left her with extra supplies just in case she needed something during the night. As Mike and Jess watched Dave drive out the dusty road, they just looked at each other. Mike sat down at the kitchen table and Jess made a pot of tea for them to help calm Mike's nerves. Her exhausted friend stopped talking now. She just let him take it all in. You see, Jess was used to trauma and being in emergency mode. But Mike was a quiet, hard-working man who lived alone and gave his life to growing food for others, harvesting it and delivering it. He had a couple of cows and a few chickens for himself, but... Mike lived a simple life. This wasn't what he would have expected as he drove home from this last trip. And now he just didn't know what to think. You go upstairs. Get some sleep and take care of yourself, Mike. Get, get some rest. You need it. I'll be fine sleeping down here and watching over. I've done it a million times for animals. Sarah's no different, except her story is a little more terrifying I'll certainly admit. You get comfortable as well. There's extra blankets and a pillow in the hall closet. Oh, Jess, you're an angel. Thank you. Mike was tired from the long drive and the day's obvious trauma. He went slowly up the stairs as he quietly walked into his room. He paid attention to the room itself and felt grateful in the moment. His comforter with a blue tartan pattern the soothing, dusty gray curtains that were swaying in the gentle evening breeze of the open window, photos of his family and a landscape of the farm itself painted by a local artist for his father, an award that Mike and the farm were given for his contribution to the community during COVID. It sat upon his dresser with the words, For Community Involvement, Support, and Business Integrity. Well, they made it just for Mike. It had never existed before. 
that his kindness and his strength during the town's worst times had to be acknowledged. His father would have been very proud. Mike gazed briefly out the window at the soothing rolling hills, the green fields, and the beautiful sunset that was peering over it all. Downstairs, Jess was settled into the other couch opposite Sarah, who was now sleeping as best she could. As a large animal vet, Jess had done many nights with pregnant cows, horses that had broken legs, and even family farm dogs who had gotten into trouble protecting their owner's land from a rogue wolf or a pack of coyotes. And so she was trained to notice details and respond to pretty difficult situations. She and her husband Paul and their kids were Mike's best friends in life now. A few things, however, that Jess noticed about Sarah was that she was talking a lot in her sleep, and she had some old scars that looked like knife wounds to Jess's trained eyes. One had obviously been deep because it intermingled with the tattoos on her one arm. The skin had healed roughly and lumpy, forming a small, disformed scar and making a very obvious character of an eagle slightly distorted. She was also psychologically traumatized in a way that they all didn't quite understand yet. And Jess felt for her suffering and Sarah's mind was in a state of confusion, fear, and shock. Who was this girl? Where did she come from? Jess pondered painfully. Well, the next morning, they all rose with the peaceful call of the rooster out back. They would have to try and get Sarah to at least sit up a bit and eat and drink something. She needed to start gaining her strength back. While Jess tended to Sarah, who was weak but awake and elevated now, Mike was making a simple breakfast of farm eggs and toast. The coffee pot was brewing, and Sarah felt comforted by all of it. She could see out the living room window and soaked in the view of a quiet and beautiful countryside before her. It soothed her to know she was safe for now. Almost as potent to her mind it was as the morphine that had been on her physical pain. Well, two of Sheriff Clement's deputies had met Mike at the door earlier and let him know they were there on guard at the end of the road, and it made all the difference for Mike as well. After bringing the food out to the girls and then sitting down himself in the big armchair, they just watched Sarah as she began to come around little by little. How do you feel, Sarah? Jess asked gently. Sarah was chewing her food slowly and answered quite oddly, I'm okay. Maybe maybe I can get back to work soon. I, I need to use the bathroom. Mike looked at Jess and they both knew what the other was thinking. Sarah's mental health wasn't their department, so Jess just responded with, Well, now that would be nice for you to get back at it, Sarah, but let's get you healed first. I can help you get up and I have crutches you can use. Come on. Let's get you into the bathroom slowly. Sarah smiled, faintly in agreeance. After a few moments, she opened up the bathroom door. She'd done her business and was comfortable again, but she was so weak, even though they could see that she was extremely fit and muscular for her stature. Washing up the dishes, Mike wondered what they'd do all day while they waited for the sheriff. He wasn't prepared for such a guest, that was for sure. Still, he asked Jess if she wanted to go home and check on her own family. 
Mike could monitor Sarah and call Jess if there were any changes. There was no sense in her staying all day. Just take my truck, Jess. We can exchange the vehicles later. They'd probably want to move her the next day anyway, so the sheriff was arranging it all. They'd talk to her and try to take her to a hospital for a real checkup. No offense to Jess. Mike knew that that might spring Sarah's fears back into her mind, however, but they might not have a choice if something changed in her progress. If she seemed okay to Jess, they may let it go to just avoid more stress, but for now, all he wanted to do was get through this day. Officially, she'd need to be checked over again. With Sarah having had a washroom break and food, she seemed to be perking up a bit. Mike asked her if she would like to sit on the porch so that she could watch the chickens roam and listen to the birds and the gentle wind. She liked that idea. And so he helped her out and into a very comfortable padded chair on the porch. He laid a blanket across her legs and made sure her cast was stable. She looked up and smiled, but her eyes then turned to the distance hauntingly. She then looked blank as if the experience had settled in and she just went numb. You must be in a lot of pain, he thought to himself. She seemed so resilient given everything, however. She just sat there now, watching and listening. It was ironically probably the best place for her. Sarah felt very safe with Mike for whatever reason. The farm was comforting, and peaceful. At the end of the day, the phone rang, and it was the sheriff. He'd arranged for Sarah to be moved the following day, as Mike wondered, and he would bring Barb Dean, the local mental health practitioner who had helped Mike and his dad through their family trauma as well, when his mum and sister were killed in the car crash. Barb was a very soft-spoken lady, who had been living and working in the area for years. If anyone could help in that department with Sarah, it was her. Mike kept Sarah calm and quiet while the night rolled in, and he decided it was safe now to tuck her in downstairs and sleep upstairs without worrying. She'd practiced a couple of times getting up with the crutches alone, and she was getting pretty good at it already. The deputies had switched the two men who would now stay awake and guard the farm through the night. Just as he was nodding off, however, Sarah started shouting, and Mike raced down the staircase to her. No, no, I won't go back. I won't go back. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. He's dead. He's dead. Get back. Back. Get back, I said. Mike shuffled his hips onto the couch where Sarah was sleeping and held on to her. Shh. It's all right, Sarah. I'm here, honey. I'm here. You're safe. It's okay. She was breathing heavily and almost hyperventilating again. As it had gone so far, Mike's presence calmed her once again, and he sighed stressfully as he settled her down and stayed until she fell asleep again. He shook his head and left her alone again to try and get some sleep for himself as well. The flickering fire did its job, and it lulled Sarah back into her dreams. The next day, Mike felt horrible at the thought of Sarah having to leave, but he was so relieved as well. 
This wasn't something he had the energy to do for much longer. He was exhausted. He tried to prepare Sarah for meeting Bart, and with his coaching, Sarah believed that they wouldn't let whoever had killed her husband and hurt her get to her again. Back in town, the sheriff was struggling to find Sarah's name anywhere in the area. No one missing named Sarah Kessler existed in his state, and so now he was asking for neighboring departments to check all records. He did, however, find the name Damon Wells, but there were 15 of them to go through. That would take time. He noted the areas closest to them and had one of his deputies starting there at least to try and find something. As the door opened, Barb, Dean, and the sheriff came in quietly. Mike was sitting with Sarah and had his arm around her to keep her calm. This nice lady I was telling you about, Sarah, this is Barb. She's my friend, too, just like Jess. She's here to help you and to be with you while we take you to a safer place. Are you okay with that? Sarah looked at Mike as if she were his daughter, in a way, and nodded her head reluctantly up and down. Mike whispered, I'll come too, and then we'll settle you in and find out what happened and what to do next. Until then, honey, you just don't worry. No one's going to hurt you anymore, okay? You need to tell the sheriff and the doctor everything you can remember, Sarah, when you feel you can. Do you understand? Sarah nodded again, and Mike signaled for the sheriff and Dr. Dean to take her slowly. He'd go with them to help keep her calm, and then he'd let the authorities do the rest. They found their way into town and to the building that the sheriff's office had for emergency planning. Sarah would be safe there, as it had been built to withstand the bad weather that the farmland in those parts would get. Should there be an emergency, they had it as a base of sorts to help the locals shelter many people if needed. There were rooms set up with couches, cots, dry food, water, all the bare necessities. This is where they would hold Sarah while they tried to protect her and find out who she kept referring to as the ones who shot her husband and attacked her. She was in the jurisdiction of his county, and Sheriff Clement didn't want to bring anyone else in directly until he could figure out a little bit more. It was a small town, but the town had many good police officers who had kept things peaceful for many years. They stuck together. Mike helped them settle Sarah in, and after she and the doctor spoke for a while, Sarah reluctantly said goodbye to Mike. Barb had thankfully made her feel secure and reassured Mike that victims often bonded to the one who rescued them from their situation, and so she wasn't surprised that a gentle giant like Mike made an impression on Sarah. It gave Mike a chance, however, to go home and get his own mind straight. He and the sheriff would stop by Jess's place to get her vehicle back to her, drop the sheriff back off at the station, and then he'd finally make his way back to his peaceful house. It was all like a dream, a bit of a bad one, and he still wondered who had done this to Sarah. Why couldn't they find her missing anywhere? She had no purse, no identification on her, and all they could do was search for her name. He couldn't understand that if her husband was well-known biologist, why was it so hard to find Sarah's origin? So far, no one had found him either as they called all of the universities and labs they could find. 
It was like a needle in a haystack. But one would think that Brian Kessler's name would show up as a current member of the science community somewhere. It didn't make sense. It was frustrating, waiting for the sheriff to have news for him, but he left it with them, went back to the farm, and continued harvesting and processing the last of the season's bounty to sell. He'd have one or two more trips to make, and so he put his energy into his own responsibilities, all the while, though, thinking about Sarah. After a few days, Jess called Mike and let him know that they still couldn't find Sarah Kessler missing from anywhere, even in the neighboring states. They were stumped, but many more options hopefully still existed if they reached out to other authorities to assist. Sarah had also been telling them things that were confusing, which was leading them down the wrong roads. She was very mentally wounded, not just physically, and it was not the outcome any of them wanted. Barb felt there was no sense in waiting any longer to gently talk to her and try to get more information because she could tell that Sarah's trauma was very unusual. She was displaying some extreme behavior, a lot of the same mumbling she was doing at Mike's in her sleep, being quiet and then suddenly barking out a bit of repetitive information out of the blue and then she'd go quiet again. Some of the mumbling was gentle, and some of it was quite aggressive. The connections were off. The staring at times in one direction for a longer than normal period, Barb was recognizing it all and writing it all down. Sarah kept telling her about Brian and that she saw a man shoot him and then she was chased by three more men and they took her and put her in a van. They drove her out there to the highway and just threw her out because she claimed she played dead to survive. That story made sense, but why couldn't they find her name anywhere? Sarah and Brian Kessler, they were nowhere to be found. As Barb continued to speak with Sarah during one of their sessions, she said a few things that were very disturbing to Barb. Sarah where did you live before this? Can you remember? Sarah was mixing details together, and it wasn't making sense. At Mike's house, she seemed pretty clear to him when she blurted out the cancer research story, but now she was jumbled. Sarah fidgeted, as usual, as her leg was not quite healed, understandably. But she was glancing quickly up to Barb and then looking away answering with short bursts of incoherent details. My house was white. My neighbors were always busy. There was always noise. I, I liked the sound of the boats in the river, the big ships. Brian always brought home something nice to eat on Fridays. He was going to cure cancer. They didn't want him to do it. I thought he was brilliant. Dave sat outside to have a coffee on about the fifth week of the unknown Sarah staying with them. There was no family, no one seemingly searching for her. Barb walked out after the session with her to share her now greater concerns with Dave. Dave, I have an idea that may not feel like an easy one to deal with. She has to have someone who is missing her, but nothing is coming up for you. She paused. What if she isn't Sarah? Dave perked up. I've thought about that possibility as well, actually. She couldn't have just dropped into these woods out here from nowhere. 
I'm calling the feds to see what's been going on on their end. Let's work on this theory, like a needle in a damn haystack. I'll let you know if I hear anything new. Barb shook her head up and down, and while Dave drove back to the station, she looked up and saw Sarah peering out of the window, just staring out into the surrounding field. She'd splinted her own leg, crawled out of a hundred-foot gully, had a very detailed, albeit short, explanation for what happened. She thought about it, and for a few more minutes, and then something else clicked. She said goodbye to Sarah for the evening, and while the deputies watched over her as usual, Barb called Mike and Jess to his farm to talk to her. She brought along a few books from her office, and when they all sat down at Mike's table, Barb gave them something to think about that was a bit out of their wheelhouse. While Mike poured the coffee, Barb started with her thoughts. She opened one of the books. I've dug into some pretty dark places in psychology, and over the years I, I've found some really horrible things. What has happened during war times and what is happening now all over the world that most people don't even want to think about? That's the problem. It can't be ignored and swept under the table. Here, look at this section. She intently pointed to the pages as Mike and Jess looked at her. There have been many examples of how, when in trauma, the brain can change so drastically that you wouldn't even know the person who once was. Physical trauma, emotional trauma. There's an entire chapter on victims of war, PTSD and soldiers. It goes on and on. I began studying in this field because I, I was tired of seeing people pushed to the side, forgotten or misunderstood. Empathy needs to be brought back into this world. Mike, your own personal experience showed me that you are a very strong-minded person, but you too had your days where I was concerned about you. Losing your sister and your mother to an accident, then watching your dad's demise is trauma we have taught your mind to accept, but not forget. You've been able to find your life in other things and other people, and I'm very proud of you. But with Sarah... She's gone through something that has almost bent her brain in a way. I don't think she knows who she really is. We need to find that answer. She needs help now before it's too late for her. From what I've observed, Sarah needs this addressed now. She's so young. I see someone good inside who is just lost. Mike and Jess were touched by Barb's words and Jess comfortingly put her hand on Mike's shoulder. Mike spoke up finally to ask, well, Why would she be so detailed in telling us about her husband and the man who gave the money? How could she make all that up? Barb stood up and touched her chin, thinking deeply. Well, maybe in her mind it wasn't made up. To her, I mean. It's it's no secret what is done to captive soldiers or anyone who falls victim to a kidnapping situation, for example. Think about what happens to children who are kept captive for years. The mind can only take so much and then it breaks. There are very few people who can resist this over a long period of time and thus the darkness that showers them takes over. 
it happens in dark places of the world and then right under your nose. What if Sarah experienced something like this? It would explain why we can't find her husband's records either. And even if she has family, she may not even know her real name. Jess gasped. Oh my God, what if you're right? What if she isn't Sarah Kessler? What's to become of her if they can't find something? Mike put his head down into his hands at the table. He lifted it and stated, Oh, Barb, we gotta call Dave and you have to share this with him. Well, as Barb had mentioned this theory to Dave earlier, she was way ahead of Mike. I didn't think of all of this before when I let him know my concerns, but now it makes sense. I think they have to do some extreme detective work. She turned, and as she took out her cell phone to make the call, but said just before she keyed in the number to the police station in town, if this is true, Sarah is one very strong young woman, ironically. Who knows what she's been through, yet she's still here, and she's proving to be a survivor. That night, it all started to come together, and Barb's theory was put into a plan to find where Sarah had come from and who she may really be. The feds took over and took reluctant Sarah into their care. As good as Barb was, they would have the best on their end to help even more. It left them all wondering what was going to happen. A year had passed And as life went on for Mike and his friends, they felt an emptiness about Sarah. Barb had provided to the federal agents her recorded sessions with Sarah, and they had had their time with her while searching for her origins with a broader capability and a much larger team. They had been successful in finding where she came from, and now it was time for them to all find out. A call finally came into Sheriff Clement's office after all those long months of wondering about the intrepid Sarah. Dave was stunned to hear what they had to tell him, and before he told Mike and Jess, he'd want to tell Barb first. When it came time to visit Mike's farm, Mike called Jess over as well. She'd been a big part of saving Sarah too, and it was only right to have her filled in as well. As they all gathered together, it became quite apparent that Dave had an ending that would explain many things. I know this has been a long, very odd year around here. Mike, I want to thank you, and you too, Jess, for being there for this young lady who mysteriously appeared into our quiet lives. Barb, you played an integral role in the feds finding who Sarah is, and I'm here to tell you all that you and your combined efforts saved someone very important to her family and her fellow soldiers. What? Soldiers? My God, Dave, who is this girl? Mike couldn't take it any more. With a deep breath, Dave let it out. Sarah Kessler is actually Kimberly Johnson, Sergeant Kimberly Johnson. She was honorably discharged a few years ago after being badly injured. 
she was showing signs that she wasn't going to be able to handle going back into the field. Not before she proved herself to be an outstanding soldier. Kim saved three others in her unit and got hurt in the process. She's military? Her story she told us. What about all of that? Jess blurted. Barb now continued. Mike, when you found her, she was delirious, telling her story about her husband, the cancer cure, the men who tried to hurt her, all of that. But Kimberly sadly entered into a psych ward in New York the year before last. She had no name at the time, with no ID, and she was found on the street. A reverend brought her in out of pity for her. He didn't know who she was either. It was a case they couldn't solve until now. She remained in their care, and everything she saw and heard around her became who she was. She made it up in her mind, and she mixed it in with being in combat. The men who took her, the shooting, everything, the clues we put together led the feds to search thousands of photos of ex-army soldiers. Well, they fell short when it came to the psych wards at first because, like I said, she had no registered name. They just called her Sarah because that is what she told them her name was when the reverend brought her in. But when they tried to find her by that name, it didn't exist. So they took the cues from how she was able to do self-triage in the gully, the tattoos, the scars, her ability to sustain such physical trauma, and turned their search to military records. Well, the name was wrong, of course, but they did facial recognition on field nurses and soldiers. Dave continued, Kim's family had watched her lose herself after coming back from action. She started getting angry and aggressive, fearful. She was suffering from severe PTSD, and she took off. She was apparently just going from town to town. Her dad had made a desperate attempt to find her. She'd taken all of her savings out of her bank account, and so she did have some sense of reality and survival in, in her still, but they could only track some of her locations based on her last bit of credit card use. Well, they never knew she was in a psych ward be because of the name. There'd be no way they could have known. She was three states over from them the whole time. According to the doctors they finally contacted, she got worse every day and took the stories she read in magazines and heard on the television and made up the cancer research story as a, a way to cushion her own memories. Her mind was trying everything it could do to avoid reality at that point. Sarah had seen full combat. She'd been knifed and shot. Her strength and her courage could not be denied during her service. Well, her shin broke that day she fell into the gully, not only because of the fall, but she had an old break on that leg. It snapped again as she fell. She had triaged it the first time alone in a field in Afghanistan, for God's sake. That's how she knew how to do it in the bush. It was like... Some of it was replaying over and over in her mind. Mike's brow was heavily furrowed as he asked, But why the name Sarah Kessler? Where'd she get it from? What about Brian, her husband? They have no idea, Barb added. It was yet another thing she made up in her mind. It happens all the time in these cases of trauma. Kimberly saw combat and being so involved in it 
to becoming home to normal life. It, it was a sudden change and a catalyst for her mind to snap. Brian could have been an old love or a fellow soldier who was shot in front of her, someone she read about. The name Sarah and Kessler, again, they could have been separate names or seen or heard somewhere in a window in a shopping mall for all we know. Like a child makes up a friend to comfort themselves, her mind was trying to do the same thing. She was trying to protect herself and didn't even realize it. And we saw how small she was, but she was an outstanding soldier. Apparently, she was awarded a Medal of Valor. Her family now has her, and she's being monitored. They'll be putting her in a proper hospital soon, where she can be treated with dignity. Her mother and father broke down when they saw her face after all this time, thinking she was gone. They have great hope that she will be functioning again. They have the best possible help in the country working with her. Jess chimed in. But how did she get here? For Mike to find her out there on the highway like that, she seems to have been functioning enough to get around, take care of herself to some extent. Well, she stole a wallet from a nurse who'd been quietly telling her colleague she had $4,000 in it to take her boyfriend on a surprise trip. Well, Kimberly heard her, waited and took it during another blip in reality. She was quite aware of what she was doing at the time. During another patient's outburst, they think that's when she snuck out unnoticed. And I know it's hard to believe, but remember, she'd been a skilled soldier. She wasn't just traipsing through the halls. She was trained to get out of places that many could not. And she did. Where she thought she was going, no one knows. She was in search of something out there. Well, they can't have her doing that anymore. Now she's in better hands and watched 24-7. They're treating her, and she has a chance to at least heal and be herself again. Her family is just glad she's back. They've had some good moments with her already, and her doctor thinks it's been very good for her. She's actually recognizing them again, and if they can keep her feeling safe, they can try to at least heal her mind to a point where she's happy. As for falling down the gully and getting to the highway, well, she'd been hitchhiking and taking buses, staying in hotels. She's lucky somebody didn't actually try to kill her. Although, <laughs> with her skills, they may have had to try very hard. Her gentle demeanor with us was very deceiving. If pushed, Kim was pretty formidable, apparently. Like they say, never judge a book by its cover. Mike asked, This Damon Wells she spoke of, was he made up too? Well, he's actually a millionaire who was in an article about cancer research Kimberly had read about. She actually had medical training as well, prior to the army, and so she was given medical magazines and anatomy textbooks when they saw how they calmed her, as she read. In her mind, it comforted her, because it was something familiar that happened before her service. Her family said she felt a calling to join the military. It was very athletic, smart. Well, she had had family that was also in the forces before her. 
She was and is a good human being that is just not well now from everything she went through. Jess looked at Mike's face and asked, Mike, are you okay? This is a lot to take in. Mike looked up at them all and smiled. Well, I will be. It sure is a, a story that I never thought any of us would be a part of. But I know now who I'm willing this place to. Jess knew right away what he was talking about. Mike, that's amazing. I think that's a wonderful idea. He didn't have to even think twice. Yep. This place will stay with me until I see Mom and Pop in heaven. But when I'm gone, it's going to the families of these soldiers. Who knows, maybe... Maybe they can use it to come here and heal. It sure seemed to calm Sarah. There's five bedrooms, and it was a family home to begin with. It could work. Maybe I can start it up and make sure it gets going for them. Maybe I could make it like a, a foundation. He paused and said quite proudly, Well, I could call it... The Kessler Project. I, I've been through sadness, but this makes me feel humble beyond belief. Mike teared up, and so did Jess. Barb and Dave looked at each other and felt such a relief for them all and for Mike. He had even more purpose in his life now, and it all came from a darkness they never expected. At that moment, everyone in the room looked upon this simple man who had worked so hard all of his life and lost his entire family. The young soldier who had entered their lives so dramatically had touched them all as her struggle in life became a lesson they would never forget. It changed them made them realize how much people gave of themselves for others and how so many kept forgetting. Some, like Kimberly, would suffer consequences as a sacrifice for others. And then there were people like Mike who allowed their hearts to stay open even though he had his own sadness to bear. He held on to the idea that it could be all worthwhile to someone someday. Well, if she's ever able and her family is comfortable with it, they're more than welcome to bring her out here, Mike offered. Dave smiled and stated, Well, actually, her family is going to reach out to you, Jess and Barb, to thank all of you for what you did to save their daughter and protect her. I think that would be very nice, for sure. But does she know her real name, who she really is at all? Jess asked. Barb explained. She's been told gently, and she does remember now. But they don't talk about her military years unless she's been stable for long periods. 
They think she's on her way to healing quite well, though. She will always struggle to some extent. But she'll see reference to the military on TV or hear about it in the news, and and so they're trying to work on her fragile memories and focus on creating a sense of safety within her. It's been a long journey for Kim to find herself again. They've just tried to slowly integrate her back into reality by using her real name, talking about normal things, their family memories, and not surprisingly, she remembers you, Mike. Asked about the nice man she met in Wisconsin. (laughs) When they asked her about her husband, Brian, the name Kessler, to test her thoughts after months of therapy, she didn't know who he was anymore. And she remembered the name Kessler only in a magazine. But she sure knew who you were, Mike. You made a positive impression on her. And when the sun rises again, there will be a fortitude felt within every soul and every heart that allows it in, for a new day will bring life's courage and hope, one man, one dream, and many lives healed. This was the engraving on the sign at the entrance to the country road up to the Kessler Project Foundation for Soldiers. With its exterior painted a fresh new color and a warm room set up for each who stayed within them, Mike's family home was now a healing place. The fields of vegetables were still being worked on as therapy by the clients and their families, with Barb Dean overseeing it all in honor of Mike's memory. Jess helped them maintain a few animals as further therapy, and twice as many chickens roamed the grounds also giving fresh eggs to sell. The county stopped charging taxes on the land, and donations kept the building and its property going each year. The more people that heard about it, the more they secured a future for soldiers who may wish to access its life-saving environment and assistance. When he passed at 78 years old, Mike Duluth gave his family home to those who needed it, to those who fought and suffered things they should not have had to. His father and his grandfather's farm did go on, and the money it raised from the sale of the vegetables and eggs went back into the Kessler Project to help them regain their confidence and the ability to enter the world again that they once knew before their honorable service. They had loving guidance from Barb and visits from the inspiring Kimberly as well. She had reclaimed a lot of herself back and was helping Barb with her fellow retired soldiers on their own journeys by sharing her new personal empathy within the peaceful setting. She would take clients on nature walks, drive the tractor to help tow the new fields. Each season, Kim now flourished in the place that had already gifted her once with its peace. She was healing and now helping others to do the same. She one day hoped to run the farm and, well, help keep Mike's kindness alive with Jess and Barb's help. 
as a newly retired soldier who was in need of support arrived at the porch entrance one warm, breezy afternoon, his older brother by his side, ex-Sergeant Kimberly Johnson, walked out through the gentle creaking screen door and smiled widely at him. He was sullen and pensive, but he was there, ready to take his next steps. Not every soldier wanted or needed to visit places like the farm, but it was very obvious that if one did, they were in a good place. He looked around and suddenly took a fresh, deep breath. His brother smiled at Kim and nodded his head to say to her, thank you. Kim said welcome to them both, and then she said three words to the soldier that had been said to her in a moment of need. One thing she would not forget. She simply said as Mike had said to her that faithful day on the road, I got you. Thank you for stopping by on the Fiction Road, and please visit again for another story in another place and another time around another corner.